A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, but I want to start this morning with an anti-immigration protest which was staged at the front gates of St. Joseph's Convent. Now that's formerly the home of the Presentation Sisters in Formoy and this anti-immigration protest was held last week with the organ, or last night with the organisers calling for asylum seekers who were inside to be deported. Owen English of the Irish Examiner covered the protest and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you Owen. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. I suppose, firstly, there's a lot of misinformation about who is actually housed at the convent. What has the Department of Integration told you about who's currently staying there? Uh, Well, you're right, Patricia. There has been a lot of misinformation and rumours swirling around about who is being accommodated at this facility. Um, The talk locally over the last couple of days was that it was going to be uh, Ukrainians fleeing the war. but uh, in a briefing to public representatives on Monday, uh, the department confirmed, the Department of Integration confirmed uh, that the centre was going to be used to house international protection applicants, asylum seekers, basically. Um, and I think that is uh, one of the issues that was raised by some of the protesters outside the uh, former convent building last night. What the department has told us um, is that the building at the moment has capacity for 77 people in 19 bedrooms. Uh, it's my understanding that they're going to try and increase the capacity of the premises over the coming weeks to about 150 people. But uh, on Monday evening, a bus load with 63 people uh, arrived at the centre. Um, now, while protesters were claiming earlier on this week that uh, there was a lot of what they would describe as uh, single males uh, and they used the terms Africans and Arabs and men of fighting age a lot last night. But what the department tells us is that of the 63 people who arrived uh, at the facility on Tuesday night, it includes 19 families, including 25 children and eight single females. And in their statement, they told us that the residents of the centre will consist of families, couples and single females. And the department stressed that St. Joseph's Convent will not be a centre for single males at any stage. So how many people attended last night's protest and what was the mood like at it? Well, I got up there at about quarter past four, um, uh, Patricia, and it, it, was, it was quiet. Um, now, I did notice some people who I assume would have been involved in the management of the centre closing the gates that lead into the convent building. Um, and I met a, a woman standing outside with an umbrella and I just got chatting to her. And um, she told me that she was actually uh, from the town and that she wanted to stand in opposition to the protesters. So we were chatting for about a half an hour or so. And at about 
quarter to ten to five, the first protesters began to arrive, including one of the main speakers, uh, a man, um, Derek Guise, who people might know from his online activity over the last couple of months in relation to this asylum seeker issue. Um, and over the course of the next 10 or 15 minutes, the crowd grew. Um, to at its peak uh, at about quarter past five I counted between 60 and 70 people outside the gate with another maybe 10 or 15 people on the opposite side of the road uh, and then to the side opposite the road there was this group of about four or five local people who said they wanted to stand there in opposition to the protesters and in solidarity with the residents um, I suppose the mood was one of defiance um, Derek Blythe began speaking um, he called for the deportation of the people inside the premises. Um, he said that it was his view that the building should be used uh, to house homeless Irish people and that irrespective of the circumstances of the people inside uh, seeking international protection for whatever reason, his, his view uh, is that they should be deported immediately. Um, there was another speaker who I understand was Mr Blythe's brother, um, and they sort of spoke to the crowd for about maybe 25, 30 minutes. Um, and uh, towards the end of the protest, things turned a little. Now, I wouldn't say they turned nasty, but um, there was a lot of chanting, um, get them out, were the words they chanted. Uh, a number of um, people tried to get into the premises. A food delivery van went in and a tradesman truck or a van came out. Um, and they were jeered uh, by some of the people outside. Um, and again, at one stage, uh, a male and a female, again, who I assume are associated with the management and operation of the centre, came out the main gate to try and get a, a, a van into the premises. And they were jeered. Um, so there was a sort of an edge to it, but the... Um, the protest was monitored from the very beginning by a number of Gardaí who patrolled up and down the street outside in Garda cars, in three marked Garda cars and an unmarked car as well. Uh, they kind of kept a discreet uh, presence uh, monitoring the situation and the protest sort of passed off without uh, without any incident, without any arrest, without any trouble really. Um, and I suppose people were gone by about six or quarter past. And when they were chanting, you know, get them out, get them out, I'm thinking of the of the the 25 children inside. Inside, would they've been able? Would they've heard that? Would they've heard those chants? Um, they may well have, uh, Patricia. Yeah. Um, now the comment itself is about maybe 150, 200 yards down a path from the main gate, uh, so it might have been far enough away from them to, to not hear it. But I have no doubt that the people inside were probably aware that this was going on outside. Um, some of what, what happened outside um, will, will no doubt appear on social media in due course. Um, so yeah, you know that's that's the welcome they got really uh, from, from from a very small cohort of people who stood outside, about sixty or seventy in total, um, who, according to the people that I spoke to, who were standing in solidarity with the residents of the centre. Uh, a lot of the people who were protesting there last night um, are from outside the town. Um, now, some of them obviously are residents of Promoy, but a few of them are not. Um, and there was a suggestion that they just that they're just using this particular uh, accommodation centre in Promoy to advance their, their their own aims, which we would have seen play out on the streets of Dublin in the East Wall area over the last couple of days. Yeah, and certainly I I saw the the clip that uh, you put up on your own social media on on Twitter, and I, I mean the comments predominantly from people in Formoy 
they're very supportive and, and it, it, some people were embarrassed to, to see that this protest was going on in their own hometown. Yeah, I was actually struck by that as well on my own Twitter and uh, in the comments under my own Twitter post last night. Um, a lot of people saying that they were ashamed as to what the protesters had done. Um, they said that it didn't represent their town, it didn't represent the county of Cork, it didn't represent Ireland. A lot of people pointing out that Ireland is a nation of immigrants itself, that we have sent people to the four corners of the world and that we've been welcomed abroad. We've had to build a lot of countries abroad. Uh, and in essence, notwithstanding all the troubles that we have here in our own country with, with record homelessness, um, with the housing situation, that it's kind of our turn now to, to welcome people seeking refuge either from the war in Ukraine or people who are fleeing, fleeing persecution in other parts of the world. Um, again, now, some of the protesters last night were saying that's all well and good, but at a time of a housing crisis when young people can't afford to get a mortgage, can't afford to uh, rent a house or, or a room in a house or can't buy a house, people who are couch surfing, um, that the government should really be prioritising um, Irish people first. That was sort of the core of their argument last night, that, um, you know, the state should really be looking after the needs of the Irish people before it throws its arms around uh, Ukrainian refugees or people seeking international protection, um, as the people in St. Joseph's Continent from Moy are. Um, but the, the, the overwhelming response that I got anyway on social media last night was, was, was the exact opposite, that this is exactly what Ireland should be doing now for these people who are, in some cases, fleeing war um, and in other cases fleeing persecution for whatever reason. Um, and that we are, despite our difficulties, we're a wealthy country and that we should be helping. Yeah, and, and as well, you know, Fomoy is a multicultural town. I mean, isn't it? It's, it's the home. They've got that wonderful international choir. It's where the Sanctuary Runners started. They've always been a welcoming town of, for people from different countries. Yeah, uh, and exactly. It's, it's the birthplace of Sanctuary Runners. Yeah. That great organisation that does everything it can to facilitate integration. And um, it, in fact, one of the people that I spoke to last night who was standing in solidarity with the people inside St. Joseph told me herself that she arrived as a newcomer in Samoy 40 years ago and raised a family. And um, she said the town is a town of shelter. Um, and uh, another a man that I spoke to there last night as part of that solidarity group said that, uh, in his view, the people involved in that protest last night were just there to sow division and that they basically had no plan. Um, so I put it to Derek Lloyd, who was the main speaker with this. You know, I said, look, Derek, you're being associated with the far right. Uh, people are claiming that you're a racist, and he, uh, he denied that. Um, he said that he doesn't judge people by the colour of their skin. But still, some of the language that was being used at that protest last night, I think, was being used to stoke up tensions, you know, discussing or labelling people as um, Africans and Arabs and using language like single males of fighting age. It's all designed, I think, to sort of stoke up tensions and sow division. And it, and the, it whips up fear, uh, you know, and, and people get very fearful uh, when when they hear this and, and it's just you know, this misinformation and it just, it raises fear in people. It does. And, and just to put the more facts out there, um, uh, Patricia, just for your listeners, um, the company running this uh, facility, they have a 12-month contract on St. Joseph's um, and 
any new arrivals into their facility, any new uh, international protection applicants who who arrive there, uh, they'll get three meals a day. Adults will get an allowance of €38.80 a week. And then parents can get 29.80 to cover what the department calls essentials for their children. Uh, the adults are entitled to, to work and contribute to Irish society uh, after six months. They do go through a process as well with the department to determine whether or not they're allowed to stay long term. So while, yes, the country has seen in the order of 13,000 international protection applicants arrive here since the start of the year. They expect that figure to hit about 14,500 by the end of this year. We're getting about 48 uh, IP applicants a week. Um, the uh, you know A lot of those may end up being refused uh, permission to stay here and, and may end up being sent back to where they came from. And then on the other hand... Um, We've also seen a massive influx of people from um, the, the, the war in Ukraine. Obviously, uh, about 60,000 uh, Ukrainians um, have arrived since the start of the year, with about 47,000 of those in, in state-provided accommodation. Um, we're getting about 109 uh, Ukrainian refugees a week and about 48 international protection applicants a week. So they're the figures. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, of what others might say. we've seen an increase in the amount of people coming f- claiming international protection refu- refugee st- status because of what happened in the UK with the changes to their policies. Yeah, and again, that was brought up by um, speakers at the protest last night that uh, uh, their argument that a lot of the people who are arriving here are choosing Ireland as a destination, that um, Ireland isn't their first country of arrival and that you know there aren't direct flights from uh, whatever country to Ireland uh, that a lot of these people would have arrived on. So, um, you know, there, there are issues with the system. Uh, we are in a housing crisis, but at the same time, these people are arriving here um, seeking protection and um, they are being accommodated. There's already a group in, uh, in being a, a group of Ukrainians being accommodated in a hotel in Pramoy. And um, I think the people who are now being housed in St. Joseph's would probably find the same welcome in due course that yeah. the people in the hotel and from my account. Yeah, and, and God knows we need workers as well. There's there's so many sectors crying out for workers. Um, OK, listen, Owen, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Owen English of the Irish Examiner. Uh, hi, Patricia. I have no problem with people coming into this country, fleeing war, but there are people from other countries jumping on the gravy train. It's gone to the stage. We've had enough goodwill done down through the years and our country is full. Our own have no homes. This is a joke. Our great government won't close the back door and say our country is full. The figures are there to prove it. Over 11,000 of our own are homeless. This is what is annoying people the most. And then another listener says, so a group of small, petty-minded races under the pretense of a protest were allowed to spew hatred and lies and weren't stopped, arrested or dispersed by the Gardaí. We need hate crime legislation in this country and we need it now. And someone else wants to point out that Owen English said one busload. There was two busloads in total, uh, bringing the 63 people who arrived the other night to from Here at C103, we are trying to get Christmas covered for a number of our uh, listeners because we're giving away super value gift cards 
worth a total of €5,000. And yesterday, Ashleen Geraghty in Lissarda was counting all the bells at 9 o'clock yesterday morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the evening. She sent in a text to Martina and she waited anxiously by her phone and she got the call and she won for herself yesterday a €500 Super Value gift card in order to have her Christmas covered. So congratulations, Ashley Geherty, uh, Lissarda. Now, Ken played the bells at two o'clock. He's played them already this morning at nine o'clock. Nick will play some more Christmas bells at two. And Martina playing the final set at five. Text or WhatsApp them to 86 the total number of bells will play today and then wait to see will Martina call you it's C103's Christmas Covered with super value uh, gift cards perfect for every occasion they're available in store or you can get them online with for an e-gift card and they can be sent out with a personal message search gift super value gift card but you've got to listen weekdays at 9am 2pm and 5pm to win only on C103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance See. People are being urged to have conversations with their family and friends in order to indicate their wishes after death as new legislation will allow for a soft opt-out for organ donation. To discuss the importance of this new legislation, I'm joined by Colin White, who is the National Advisory Projects Manager with the Irish Kidney Association. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe this bill is long, long overdue? Um, well, it's been kind of on the sideline for a very long time. There's been kind of legislation in the offing since uh, 2008. So, um, like, really, the only legislation that properly covers um, organ donation in Ireland dates back to the 1832 Act, which was in relation to um, using bodies for <coughs> kind of medical science. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the kind of time that we, that we caught up. It's, it's certainly outdated. I suppose, can you just explain to people how the soft opt-out will actually work? Well, I think firstly, if we understand where we're starting from, um, our current system is referred to as kind of an opt-in system. But the reality is that... Um, for somebody to be considered a potential organ donor, um, in most cases, you have to be in an intensive care unit on a life support machine when they declare you brainstem dead. So it's actually a very tiny percentage of the number of deaths every year, approximately only 1% of the deaths every year um, offer the possibility of <clears throat> organ donation. So the system we've had for years is um, when a potential donor is identified, the family is approached for consent. So they're asked, are you aware whether your loved one um, had considered organ donation? So often a prompt for that question might be, like, are you aware, did they have an organ donor card? Or had they ticked the box um, when requesting their driving license, like to have code 115 on the back? Um, and if the family say yes, retrieval happened and uh, transplantation happened. If they said no, uh, it didn't happen. So the new legislation is proposing a system where they would introduce an opt-out register. So for those who did not want to be considered potential organ donors, they would sign up to this register 
And in the event of them being a potential organ donor, the register would be consulted, their name would be seen, and no further action would be taken. Um, if people have not uh, opted out, the approach to the family then becomes slightly nuanced compared to the current system that rather than approaching saying, um, do you think your loved one uh, would consider organ donation? It's more coming from an angle of, do you think there's any reason why your loved one would not want to have mm. been an organ donor? It's a slightly different uh, conversation for sure, but ultimately the families will still need to be consulted. So hence the reason why I said at the outset, we need to have these conversations. Yes, I was so pleased that that's the way you introduced it. Like that's that's at the um, the centre of uh, organ donation and transplantation. Whatever system is in place uh, is family consent because um, no matter what the circumstances, there's no hospital uh, is ever going to go against the uh, the wishes of the family at 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 what is a very um, kind of traumatic time. They've just been told that they've lost a loved one. Um, so it, it, it is important that they are engaged. Like in Scotland now, their, their current campaign is um, don't leave your family in doubt. And because in the UK, they've had a yes register for many, many years and then recently have introduced opt-out legislation which uh, has resulted in them just putting a no register alongside their yes register. Um, they've got a nice, simple question to, to ask of the public, like, have you recorded your wishes? Mm. So in the, in the event of uh, an individual being a potential donor, um, the family can be kind of given the context, like, would you like us to carry out your loved one's wishes? They signed the organ donor register back in 2015, whatever it might be. And um, I think there's some very telling statistics come out of the UK that um, they have specialist nurses for organ donation. They're they're called SNODs, (laughs) which is um, uh, always a a title that uh, gives a little bit of a laugh. But I think they've recently... um, introduced clods as well, clinical leads for organ donation. Okay. But um, we also have some uh, kind of people with a similar role, but thankfully not <laughs> not the same kind of uh, title. But the key is in the UK, if a snod was not available and the person had not signed the organ donor register, they were looking at somewhere around about 27% of families saying yes to the organ donation. If the specialist nurse was available, but the person had not signed the register, they were looking at maybe about 52% uh, consent. That's a big difference. And then it is, but then the biggest difference, if the person had signed the register and you had your specialist nurse on hand, uh, they're getting consent rates of over 90%. (sighs) So it really kind of highlights the the importance of the conversation and the importance of having a a kind of a constructive call to action uh, for the public that rather than uh, the public kind of thinking, well, under this new system, if I don't uh, opt out, well, I'm I'm a presumed organ donor. um, It's really important that you, you have that family conversation so that 
you you make the decision uh, that little bit easier on your family. And I think we have to look at organ donation for transplantation from both sides. Like as a patient organization, we're obviously very keen to promote organ donation because um, like many, many, many of our members and, and, and many others are uh, waiting a, a transplant. But look at it from the donor family perspective that um, it's very much a legacy to leave your family. Like I was talking to a donor family earlier in the week and uh, the mum was saying kind of, we almost felt quite selfish in donating the organs because it was um, something we were doing for us that we were aware of our son's wishes and we were carrying it out because we wanted to carry it out. And it's it's kind of uh, sometimes described by donor families as the one bright light in a very dark time. Yeah, 100%. And, and, um, the, and the, difference, so it is, the difference it makes to the recipient, Colin. Oh, it's, it's it's transformational. It 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 truly is that um, like it 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 opens up a future. It opens up possibilities. Like on the organ donor card, we, we say the gift of life. That and literally I is what it is. And it's the gift of everyday experiences. It's the gift of a beautiful sunrise. It's the gift of your favorite song coming on the radio. It's the gift of celebrating another Christmas, seeing your first grandchild, whatever it might be. All those little things that put a smile on your face and, and bring joy to your heart. Um, like I, I run our um, transplant and dialysis sports program and when we're away at World Transplant Games, you'll often see on the medal podium um, that when a person gets their medal, they, they kind of give the medal a little kiss and an, a, a nod upstairs to kind of acknowledge that myself and my donor achieved this. Yeah, and I know that, 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 over, that, over the years I've had the great privilege to speak with people who have had organ uh, donations and, uh, you know, all of them say, you know, that they can never thank the families or the, the, the donor and they think about them all the time, you know, and there is there's something, there is oh, something lovely about that. The, there is, and like the, I think it's important for your listeners to realise the the ripple effect, that it's not just the individuals who receive the organs um, at the, whose lives are transformed. It's the lives of, of their families. It's their place in society. Um, it, it's like what I've witnessed over the years is um, people going on to have their own children after transplant. So like it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Like I've been to, 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 to weddings, to baptisms, uh, etc. that have been able to happen because of the gift of life. So I would actively encourage your listeners to um, free text the word donor, D-O-N-O-R, to 50050 to request an organ donor card um, and use that donor card as an icebreaker for the conversation yeah. because... And we'll it's come not up, maybe something. Yeah, we're coming up to Christmas, and it's the time when families will will get together and be spending time together with with each other. And it's just kind of the right time just to drop it into conversation, get it out there, and just have the conversation yep. with your loved ones. Okay, listen, uh, Colin, thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program this morning.
Absolute pleasure. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Colin White, National Advocacy Projects Manager with the Irish Kidney Association, uh, and that bill uh, is due to be uh, is due to come into law uh, soon. It was approved by the cabinet this week. But in the meantime, please carry your organ donor card. Text the word donor to five double o five zero if you don't already carry a donor card and have the conversation. Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, was offering his opinion on living Christmas trees, which he would love to see more people opting for. So as promised, we said we would follow it up by chatting with Corkman Cullum Crowley of ChristmasTree.ie, who's offering pot-grown Christmas trees to buy or rent at Mahan Industrial Park. Uh, good morning to you, Colm. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Now, you've been in the Christmas tree business, I think I read, for some 25 years. Why did you decide last year to opt with this, going for the living, trying out the living Christmas trees? Well, it, it was actually just uh, an idea. I, I, I saw that they were doing in Germany and the States and in London for, for many years. I just thought it was a great idea when I saw it. And uh, it was just something that I wanted to try. And I just thought last year I'd just take a chance. And um, yeah, we worked out very well. It's, it became very popular and, and it's just as popular now again this year. So explain to us the care. If, if someone decides to opt for a living Christmas tree, what care do they need while they're in the house? Well, the maximum they can be indoors is three weeks. So okay. like we only rent our trees from the 8th of December and we take them back then again in January 2nd. But the big one really will be uh, water. You, you need to water the tree and keep an eye on it and just keep it away from any major heat source like a stove now or an open fire or a radiator. So if um, if, if I opted, say, to buy one, I, I leave it, uh, do I then leave it in the pot, for, put it outside, leave it in the pot for next year or do I plant it out in the garden? You have an option. Like the, the best thing to do would be to repot it into a, into a slightly bigger pot. Okay. And um, you can keep it outside in the garden or you can actually take it out of the pot and put it into the ground and grow it as um, an outdoor Christmas tree then in your, in your garden. And the rental option, do you deliver or how does that work? Uh, we've two options. So, so people can call down to us. Uh, we're at uh, mini storage in Mahan Industrial Park and they can call down on the 8th of December and pick up their tree. And then they can come back then on January 2nd to collect it. But we also sell trees as well. So we're open for that all the time then. Because yeah, I th- people like to go down and have a look at the trees, don't they, and pick their own. They do. Lo- <laughs> they they do love to pick their own tree. You know, I mean, people are very fussy about their tree, so they they want it to be right, and they know they have an an idea, an exact idea of what they want as well. You know. And, and what are the most popular tree variety when it comes to Christmas trees? Um. So the cut Christmas trees will be the Fraser for this lovely smell off them, and um. Then for the popcorn Christmas tree. The spruce is always a very popular one, like the Norway spruce. And what, what sizes do you offer in the pot-grown ones? The biggest at the moment is the five-foot for the pot-grown. Um, but last year, now, we rented our five-foot pot-growns, and they've grown a small bit now. So anyone that rented a five-foot last year would expect to have a slightly bigger tree now this year, you know, <laughs> up to six-foot. Are you saying people are coming back for the same tree? They're coming back for the same tree and not only that, they're actually naming their tree as well. So they have a name in it. So uh, it's so, all a bit of fun as well. So, like there's a serious side to it with the sustainability, but there's also, you know, a lot of bit, a lot of crack and a bit of fun too. What, such as what kind of names are they putting on a Christmas tree? Uh, well, Spruce Springsteen would be the most popular uh, one. And, uh, 
And Noel then and Woody then will be <laughs> two other popular ones then as well. Okay, so so you you so this operates this living Christmas tree. You're saying it operates successfully in other countries. That's where you got the idea from. It, it does, yeah. Like London, it's very big in London and um, and in the states then as well. Um, and and in, I think Germany is where it actually originated from from uh, from first. So um, yeah, so we kind of looked at those ideas and. Uh, and we said we will try it because I, I just knew Irish people would love this idea. And, you know, they've really taken it on board as well, which is great. And it's all about we're all trying to get environmentally friendly and we're all trying to do our bit for the environment. And this is just a, 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 it's, a, it's a small thing to do, but it's a terrific thing to do for the environment. It is. It's very sustainable as well. I mean, the tree gets to stay alive and the longer the tree gets to stay alive, the more oxygen and there's in the air and there's less CO2 as well. Okay. Now, as you say, you, you're buying, you're selling and, and renting the trees out of Mahan Industrial Park, but you're obviously not growing the trees uh, in Mahan. Where do you grow your trees? We, we've imported some of the bigger ones last year because when we started, we knew people wanted bigger trees and we just didn't have them. But we've been growing them for about four years. We're down in West Cork and um, those, those, those trees that we started growing about four years ago will eventually become bigger trees. So, we won't have to actually import them then right. any longer. And so the ones that you rent that come back, will you then replant them out in West Cork for next year? We will, yeah. yeah. Like the like last year's rentals now, they were planted out um, in January, February, and we took them out of the ground then in October and November, and they're ready to go now for, for this year. Okay, so the tree can go off on its holiday and then come back uh, to uh, exactly, West Cork. Yeah. Now, somebody's asking, what's the cost of the living um, uh, trees? And I'm assuming it depends on the size, does it? Yeah, so we have three sizes. If they want to buy it outright, the three foots are €45 Euros and the five foots then are 75 But if they want to rent it in, the three foots are €30. Euros, so it's 50% cheaper to rent and the five foots then are €50. Euros. Well done. Well done. You're, you're keeping them reasonably priced um, as well. And have you many bookings for this year, Colm? Well, we've sold out of the five foots now um, for the past nearly two weeks. So it's just the three foots now that are left and they're selling very quickly. So we'd expect to, to, to be sold out of those probably in the next week, I'd say. Well done, well done. And it's christmastree.ie is where people can find out more. And, and It's christmastree.ie, yeah. And we're down in mini storage in Man Industrial Park. And a lot of people know it from the old Bournes electronics building then back in the, the 90s. Absolutely. Listen, happy Christmas to you, uh, Colm. And well done. Happy it's a Christmas great, to it's you a, too. It's a great initiative. Thanks for that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks. for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, Colm Crowley there of www.christmastree.ie. Um, I just think it's a lovely, lovely idea to have a living Christmas tree and the smell. I mentioned this earlier on in the week. There is nothing like the smell of a real tree in the house, but you think it's not just a real tree. It's a living Christmas tree. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. In the last hour, I was speaking with uh, Colin White of the Irish Kidney Association and he was talking about the new legislation that's going to allow for what's called soft opt-out for organ donation. And that led to me having a chat with Colin about organ donation. And obviously through his work with the Irish Kidney Association, he's seen at first hand the power of organ donation and the difference it can make to uh, uh, to a family, to the, do- to the person who receives it, but to the entire family and, and further it spreads out as a kind of a ripple effect on it. Well, that prompted Christine uh, to contact uh, the programme and, and she joins me. Good morning to you, Christine. 
Good morning, Patricia. And firstly, I'm I'm very conscious and very appreciative, firstly, of you making the call, but I'm very appreciative of you doing it because this awful decision around organ donation came to your doorstep and it was only two months ago when you lost your beautiful daughter. That's correct. It was terrible, very, very hard. What was your daughter's name? My daughter's name was Gail Cotter Buckley. Gail. And what what happened to Gail, Christine? Um, Gail went to sleep and she didn't wake up. She had a brain hemorrhage. And um, she was found she was found by her daughter unresponsive and she made it to the hospital but her brain was dead. So they kept her for Saturday and Sunday and then she was declared dead and um, I realised that I knew she had been a, an organ donor and um, we checked her driving licence. So people need to know that it says on your driving licence if you're an organ donor. So you knew this was something that Gail had thought I, about? I know this was something she, we've always talked about. I was always an organ donation. You know, I always carry the card, but she had it on her driving licence, which made it very simple for family and for the hospital. So when the, and and did the hospital bring the bring the discussion up with you, or did you as a family say we know what Gail's wishes are? Well, when it came to, um, they said we turn off we turn off the machines and you can say your goodbyes. And then you know I remembered and her family remembered her daughter remembered that she was an organ donor and we knew if they turned off the machines and the organs couldn't be used, you know. So it went from there and we got her driving licence and it was on her driving licence and that went ahead. And how many of her organs were they able to use? They used three. So three people benefited? There are three people, thank God, who are not going through what I'm going through today. And I'm so happy about that. It gives me, it gives us all such wonderful comfort to know that when we stood with my daughter's funeral, burying her, that these families don't have to do that right now. And, you know, it's such a comfort. It, it, it means that her debt wasn't in vain, that there was something wonderful came out of it. And it really is the gift of life, isn't it? it it's not just the gift of life to the people who received it. It's giving us a gift of life as well. You know, to know that even though she's gone... Like yesterday, I went to her grave for the first time. It was heartbreaking. And I kept thinking of these three families are not standing at a grave today as well. So people, let them please, please carry the organ donation cards. Get it on your licence. You'll never know. It's not just what the gift these people have of life. It's the gift it's given to the bereaved. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's 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 funny. You're you're. I, I've spoken with others in the in the past who were in the same situation as you, and all of them say the same thing. Nothing will take away the loss of of Gail and and trying to get on with your life, but there's just there's just a layer of comfort around knowing that three people are today getting ready for Christmas, and you know with their families and, and, and I thought the way Colin said you know seeing another sunset celebrating another birthday yes yes you know it's wonderful I, I actually feel wonderful for those people it doesn't take away the devastation <clears throat> it doesn't take away the loneliness but it gives comfort yeah 
And did you, do, and I don't know, do you get any details on like what age group of people are their situation with, with, it, with it adults, with the children? I don't know. And no. um, the only thing that we were told was that they were out of recovery and they were doing fantastic. Ah, brilliant. Ah, oh, isn't that, yeah, that, um, <laughs> that is brilliant. And what age was Gail, Christine? Gail was 51. God, so young. And hadn't been unwell or sick or anything beforehand? Well, she had a little. She woke one morning and she was deaf in one ear and she had numbness on her face and she had vertical. And she went to hospital and they said it was um, an ear virus, a virus in her ear. Yeah. And um, that was it. That was um, a few days beforehand. And then she just didn't wake up. My God. That's tough. That is uh, tough. Uh, you're always wondering, should I have made her go further about it? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? You know? No, no, don't be thinking like that. I mean, her symptoms were, you know, very normal type, you know, ear infection. You think yeah. antibiotic yeah. and you'll be fine. Or if it's a virus, it'll go away. And I don't think you could you could have you could have predicted. No, I don't think anything could, no, could have been done. Look, the only thing, and it's another bit of comfort, is that she didn't feel anything. It yeah. was um, a grade four brain hemorrhage, the worst you can have, you know, so she would have felt nothing. Yeah, she just would have gone to sleep, as you say, and, and that was it. And how is how is her daughter doing? She's got two daughters. Two. It's very, very hard, and her partner and all the rest of her family, it, it's devastating. It's absolutely, it's like somebody ripping your heart out a million times a day. It, all, it goes against nature, doesn't it, to bury your young? Absolutely. It's Listen, do you mind if I go on a bit? Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. I should, yeah. Listen, I really, I appreciate your call and your messages to people. Carry donor cards. That's what the message is. That's what the message is. You look after yourself, Christine, okay? God bless. And happy Christmas to you as well. God bless. And uh, may your beautiful daughter, Gail, uh, rest in peace. Goodness me. Uh, 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul, uh, taking your calls uh, this morning. If we ever needed the legislation for a soft opt-out, when you hear somebody like that, that is uh, exactly uh, the reason why we all need to carry uh, donor cards. Um, John Paul's taking your calls 0818 103 103. Uh, am I going to this now? OK, um, Helen uh, is on uh, line one. Uh, good morning, Helen. Morning, how are uh, you? I'm, I'm, I'm very well. OK, you have uh, an issue with uh, your, he- your heating, is it? Yeah, I'm three three weeks now. I'm heading into the third weekend without any heating in the house with two children. And what type of heating do you, do you normally have in the house? It's gas. And what's gone wrong with it? With the this is the boiler or what's the issue? Yeah, the boiler is not firing. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was told that the boiler had to be replaced; that it was hazardous. Okay. And an engineer came out and had a look at it, but I haven't heard anything since. Um, I had rang about radiators not working and nobody came out. And I rang then on, I think, was it the 15th of November that my heating wasn't working and nobody came out. I've been ringing constantly trying to get somebody to call and I've been told that they can't force contractors to come and look at my heating. I've been told that I'm on the list. I've been on to my local TD. I've been on to another TD. There's just no help at all for me and I'm going in now to a third weekend without any heating in my house 
And is the house, I can imagine, is, is it very cold? It's freezing. Is it? Is it? We've heaters, we've fluffy pyjamas, we've t- um, hot water bottles. And what kind of, will you say heaters? Are you using electric heaters? Electric heaters, Oh my yeah. God, your electricity bill, Helen. All my credit is gone, practically. That's like, it's I'm constantly it. topping it up. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah, electric heaters literally eat up electricity. Okay, you're saying an engineer came out and said that that boiler has to be replaced. So it isn't a case of somebody just coming out and servicing the boiler. It has to be replaced. Yeah. So the council obviously therefore have put they you... Got, he got it working. Yeah. He got it working. Then an engineer came out and looked at it, but I didn't get any feedback or anything like that. And now the boiler isn't working. So and nobody, nobody's coming out. But it's definitely it's a replacement job you need. Is it rather than just a repair? I'm presuming it's both. Okay. All right. And. And they say, OK, because we know that the council don't have enough of their own plumbers, so everything is, is contracted out. So they're saying you're on some kind of a list with the contractor, but they can't force the contractor to push you up the list. Is it? Yeah. yeah. But how can, how can you survive with two? And what age are your children? Uh, 14 and 12. And you're all frozen. Absolutely. Yep. For, for, and you're going in, we're coming into winter and we've been, you've been slightly lucky in that we haven't had a very, very cold spell. But you certainly, there's none of us surviving without, we all are turning our heating on, even, you know, we're not in minus degrees Celsius, but we still need our heating on every night and every, and every, and every morning. OK, we'll get on to uh, the council on your behalf and uh, see if we can get any kind of a... What needs to happen is, and I appreciate that there's obviously a list of jobs that need to be done by the contractor, but there has to be priority given to people who have absolutely no heating in their house, as is, is, is your case. And John Paul tells me it's your daughter's birthday this weekend. Yeah, I um I've had to cancel people coming over because the house is too cold to have anybody in. Oh, gosh, God love you. OK, listen, hang in there. We'll get on to the council. We'll get on to the council and see if we can get something uh, sorted out. And you need it sorted out. I mean, today's Thursday. You need it sorted out before the weekend. Let's see if it's we can my get... Third week. it's, yeah, it's my third weekend now, coming into yeah, the third weekend yeah. without and, any heating. And the for house. the children and to have... And were you having a little bit of a party? Was That was the plan yeah. for your daughter, yeah? That was the plan, yeah. All right. OK, listen, we, uh, hang, hang in there and we'll get on to the council and, and see if we can get anything done, all right? Listen, okay, mind, you mind yourself, mind yourself. Uh, 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers. Uh, two cleaners are wanted in Mallow. The pay is €11.55 per hour. CVs to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. A carpenter is wanted for a maintenance job in the pharma sector. You must have some tools and a craft card 087 165 Ward personnel have vacancies for all types of machine drivers. They're looking for diggers, crane, lorry, arctic truck drivers. Phone 021-233-9120. And Molin Healthcare holding a recruitment day today from 10am to 6.30pm in the Charleville Park Hotel. To check out jobs that are available, visit molinhealthcare.com or email recruitment at molinhealthcare.com. 
You'll find all the details and more job vacancies by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. As and from today, December 1st, a new law has been introduced which is aimed at ensuring that staff in places like restaurants and bars get paid their share of tips left by customers to discuss the amendment to the Payment of Wages Act. I'm joined by Deirdre Kern. Up until now, was there literally no law obliging employers to pass on tips to their workers? There was literally no law. And more to the point, Patricia, was there was there was very little evidence about what was happening on the ground. So there were a small number of people well, actually two, myself in the University of Galway and Julia, who you mentioned there from Unite Trade Union, who gathered data on the experience of workers in hospitality in relation to tips. So we were the first people in this country, remarkably, to gather real data from hospitality workers about what the situation on the ground was like. And what, and what did you find out? What did you hear from the well, workers? What we found was between 25% and 33% of workers reported not getting their full share of tips. Some got none at all. Some, there was a portion taken for uh, newspapers that were provided for customers, for breakages, for walkouts. Uh, Some uh, tips were divided and the workers had no idea what the system for division was and considered it to be unfair. So a significant proportion of workers were not getting tips at all or were not getting their fair share of tips. And in in some cases, did some employers even use and have used the tips to cover wages? There was some evidence to suggest that and and that was kind of what triggered Unite to take action in the first place. Um, But that would, in my experience from the research I've done, was the minority of, of cases. Okay. Um, it was part of it certainly but it was the minority of cases. It was more likely that the tips were going, uh, you know, either disappearing altogether or going to a Christmas party that may never happen or etc etc. So there was definitely a need for this legislation and the first person to trigger the, you know to meeting that need was Paul Gavin who proposed a tips bill in 2017 and here we are in on the 1st of December 2022 <laughs> and I'm delighted to say that this, this law has been introduced yeah, it's, um, it's certainly taken time. It's taken time. And also it's important to note that the draft of the legislation was improved significantly by contributions from the evidence provided by myself and Julia Marciniak from Unite. Well so the original draft was fairly um, weak, I would say, in terms of what coverage it would give. I mean, for example, the biggest example I can think of it was in the original draft, service charges were not to be touched Um, and employer uh, representative bodies had declared that service charges were for employers, not for staff, excuse me. So the biggest win for workers, from my point of view, is that service charges, if there's a service charge, it has to go to staff because that was uh, the understanding of customers and if there was a service charge, customers would 
perhaps not leave a tip because they would think that was covered. But in uh, in significant number of cases, those service charges were not going to staff at all. I'm, so I'm, I'm really taken aback by that because I always assumed that yeah. a service charge on a bill was a tip by another name. And if yeah. I saw, and, in, in, and it used to annoy me in some establishments where the service charge was automatically put in. You, yeah. didn't, you, you didn't get the choice. But, you know, I said, oh, look, service was good. Okay, you know, and, 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 yeah. and I paid it willingly. But then I didn't leave a tip because I yeah. assumed that the staff member was getting the service charge. Yeah, well, Patricia, you were certainly not on your own in that. And when the original bill that was devised by Paul Gavin was being debated in the Houses of the Oireachtas, I actually attended to present evidence from the research and and senior figures from the employer representative bodies declared service charges to be the property of employers. Uh, it's on the record, and it's you know it was it was pretty shocking at the time. So it is it is really important that service charges are included in the um, in the new uh, legislation. But I mean, I suppose more generally, it's coming up to Christmas. It's a wonderful day for hospitality workers because uh, while some of us are thinking of maybe having a rest over Christmas, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the really, really busy time for hospitality workers, many of whom are paid the minimum wage. And so they rely on those extra tips. They shouldn't have to. We should have a living wage, but that's a whole other debate uh, for another day. Um, So they rely on that extra money, you know, to fund their own Christmas. Um, And so it's really significant from my point of view that they can now uh, rest assured that they have a legal right to their tips. 
um, and that they will they will uh, they'll be able to activate that right. So it's it's a really good day. It's a small thing in the grander scheme of the changes that are needed in hospitality, but it is a big thing, you know, in the life of an ordinary hospitality worker who's going to be working very very hard to entertain all of us over over the Christmas period. And and by the way, when you were talking with workers who were sharing their experiences, particularly the ones who were saying, look, I'm not getting my tips. Did you hear of any of the workers who tried to confront the employers about saying, well, look, give me my t- there There are tips. We should be getting them. There were reports of attempts, but the another issue with hospitality work, Patricia, is that hospitality workers tend not to speak out um, they tend, if you know, something bad happens and having your tips withheld from you is bad. But there were, was evidence of much more serious things like verbal abuse, bullying, harassment. And when I, in my research, I asked people, if something bad happens to you, you know, who do you report it to? Uh, the majority would say nobody. Of the people who reported it, uh, was action taken to address the situation? The majority of that was no. So there is a lack of voice. This is another big passion of mine. There's a lack of voice for hospitality workers. And we really do need to find a way to provide platforms for hospitality workers to to share their experiences and to raise their voice. Um, the Joint Committee on Tourism, um, Sports, Media, etc., uh, launched a report very recently on working conditions and staff shortages in hospitality, and that was based on the testimonies they had got from employer bodies, from uh, trade unions, and from people who were speaking on behalf of workers like myself through the research. Um, and the recommendations are actually really, really solid recommendations. And one of the things that I was asking the committee was to please find ways for hospitality workers to have a voice because less than 6% of these workers would join a trade union, uh, which is, you know, which is pretty worrying. And it's, it's a big body of work that the unions need to pay attention to. But the reality is they don't tend to join trade unions. So we need to find a way to encourage hospitality workers to to raise their voice. And one of the recommendations of that Oireachtas Committee was that there would be a platform um, for hospitality uh, stakeholders and that that would would particularly um, provide platform for workers themselves to have a voice. Okay. And somebody's asking, Deirdre, will workers be taxed on their tips or are they taxed on their tips? Well, you see, this is something that gets put out, you know, uh, as a kind of a, you know, a kind of a, an almost a criticism of the, the new law. Uh, technically, you know, any income that you get is taxable. Yeah. Uh, but remember, these workers, a lot of them are very low paid. So so whether they would even make it into the tax bracket is, you know, is in the first is, place. Is, yeah, 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 the question. Yeah. And also is the revenue, you know, our revenue going to pay an awful lot of attention to chasing hospitality workers for the tips that they get, you know, rather than <laughs> some of the some of the people who are creating, you know, who are taking income and not paying tax on it. So, um technically yes, but I I see the wins of this legislation as far outweighing any any uh, and even if they're taxed on them, sure isn't it better to be taxed on something that you're getting? At least they're getting it. Yeah, at least, at rather least than getting not it. getting it. And does the new law cover other uh, sectors of businesses? Somebody's asking, uh, for example, like hairdressers or deliver, delivery drivers. It does. Yeah, okay, it does. so it's all. It, it is all, but the sector I suppose that was most impacted by it was uh, was the hospitality sector. You know, so if you have a, a small hair salon and people are getting tips, 
the likelihood is that the people who work within that salon have some kind of an agreement as to what happens to those tips. But uh, but if you're talking about a big hotel that has 200 staff or a restaurant that has 50 staff working on different shifts, uh, it gets much more complicated. Yeah. So a good, a good news story. As they a say. very good news well done. story. And well, well, very done to, good. well done to you and Julia. You put a lot of work uh, into this. this well, it's it's the first thing that's, you know, the first achievement. There's lots more to do. Okay. <laughs> You're on the road. That's the main We're thing. We're on the road. Listen, yes. dear, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank, thank you for you that. thank you for covering this, Patricia. That's our pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. We're going to for more Guard the Station for this week's Guard the Fire. Where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks uh, for having me. And you're very welcome. Okay, we start this morning with uh, details of a farm that got broken into. Yeah, and Patricia, I suppose, first of all, advice if I saying that um, this is Wednesday of two weeks ago. Now, that's the only burglary we've had in the last two weeks. You know, so, I mean, contrary uh, to what you might hear, I suppose, what we're experiencing in Park North is that, you know, still crime, crime is at a very low base. Um, in this particular case, um, uh, it would appear to be a, an outlying farm was broken into. Two 18-volt power tool um, batteries were taken. Now, what came up there, I suppose, going back about a month ago, as well as another farmyard, you know, we'd always say, you know, to deter people from coming in, a lock on the gate. Uh, again, in this case, the lock was cut off the gate. So make sure whatever type of a lock you're putting on is a closed shack lock, one that you can't really get... Um, uh, you know, a voice strips around or, or, or get a bolt cutter act, you know. Okay. Um, it has, it, at the top of the lock, is it's covered. There's kind of shoulders on the top of the lock. And um, it's very, very hard to get at, at a bolt cutter. So you just look at taking simple measures like that. And as I say, keep, um, make sure that there's at least one um, unit inside in the, in, in the, in the farmyard. You know, some one particular good shed that can be locked up and that there's a good steel door on, maybe a sliding door or something, again, with a closed shackle lock. You know, you just have to uh, deter criminals as, uh, as much as you can. You is, know? is it possible to place alarms? On... Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, if, if there is a good secure shed on, on a place, you know, put in an alarm to that shed, you know, and... Um, uh, you can get some of those that you know, as a, you can have it self-monitored or whatever. You know, again, monitoring is something very good. You know, putting CCTV, which can again be self-monitored, that if there's an activation in that shed, it'll it'll come up in your phone. Yeah, make yeah. it just make it as difficult just make as, it hard. as so, possible. As, as I say, that was Wednesday two weeks ago over over in in the Malay area. So. Crime is by no means, you, you know, high, you know. Yeah, and um, but then but then Wednesday of this week, the, the Gardaí were in the right place at the right time? In the right place at the right time. They met a male uh, um, walking around uh, just after leaving an estate in Cove. He was obviously doing a reconnaissance, uh, wearing a ski mask, dark clothing and gloves and carrying a couple of screwdrivers, you know. So, as I said, um, this, was, this was a quarter to one in the morning. So, as I said, that case has been investigated so at at the moment, you know. So, okay. there well are done. people out there looking for looking for opportunities, but we're out there as well looking for them. Okay, you know? and then it's just the res- all of us have a responsibility to make sure our houses are locked up and, and as best as best we can. Now, scam, yeah. scams. We've been talking about scams on the the program this week. You've yeah, got, and so you've got two different ones you want to highlight. Two, two different scams, and and just for people to be cautious as well, looking at done deal, you know, and and other uh, and on other online forums where stuff is for sale, you know. Um, in this case, uh, a person reported 
you know, he responded to an ad on Dundee for PlayStation. He was texting to and fro with who he thought was the seller, and he agreed a price of €520. Euro. He was asked to pay the money through Revolut, to a, and the person gave their username. And when he later went to correspond to confirm his payment, you know, Dundee were able to... Uh, had suspended the conversation after he sent the money. So he contacted them directly, and they confirmed it was a scam, and to contact uh, Revolut, you know, and I think the the Revolut are currently investigating the matter, you know. Um, So you just, you need to be extremely careful, even on a website like Dundeal, where lots of people buy items and everything is is above board, but you just never, never know when you're dealing with a scam artist. Absolutely, and they're doing a a very good, uh, they are going through as much of the stuff as possible, you know, but obviously the volume of stuff, uh, you know, can be, I suppose, beyond them too sometimes, you know, there's the, the odd one kind of kind of slips in, you know. Um, and, and remember, when you put in money through Revolut, you know, they are, they are going to ask you, do you know and trust uh, John Kelly, for instance, um, as regards before you put money through? So be very, very careful, you know, and uh, uh, as I said, do your research and, you know, some of the things that you, you don't, don't take it for granted. And, and I always say if the offer is too good to be true then it probably isn't a real offer a genuine offer Absolutely and coming up to Christmas we see more and more of those Yeah, you know and there is one here we covered before probably I'd say the last this time last year um, where uh, the injured party in this case received a voicemail and a subsequent telephone call from a what appeared to be a Dublin number, and I say that, what appeared to be a Dublin number, because you can now, with what they call number spoofing, bring up any type of number on your phone. You could be ringing from India, Pakistan, anywhere in Africa, and it comes up, uh, you can make it come up as a Dublin number on your phone. Now, in this case, the caller stated that he was ringing from Amazon regarding an Amazon Prime refund that was due to their account. Now, the caller then asked the injured party to download a t- the team viewer app and took control of their Revolut account and withdrew and withdrew funds uh, from from their account. You know, so obviously injured parties now at a loss. And uh, now the caller in this uh, case had had a uh, a male caller and would suggest from the accent that they were from South Asia. You know, so you know just for people to be very very cautious at at any time of year. But I mean fraud. You know, we're, we're having probably, you know, equally as much online fraud as we are physical fraud. Yeah, probably. and we haven't. It's interesting that it's the Amazon one because at one stage, everybody, including myself, we were all getting the, the texts of the calls from Amazon. And then they had a tendency, they kind of disappeared, I think, because, you know, the scammers realised that people had copped on to them. And then there was the run on the HSE ones, which are still doing yeah. the rounds with the Omicron. Um, the Amazon one is clever, though, because a lot of people now in the run up to Christmas may be purchasing items from Amazon. So Amazon will be on their minds and they'll think, oh, that must be genuine. So you just need, because I know Amazon came out last year saying, yes. you know, this is a scam. So people just need to be careful that the Amazon scam is back out there again. It is indeed. And those things will probably continue to appear and reappear. You know, I, it seems, you know, they trend from time to time. And that seems to be one kind of trending at the moment as well. So just be careful as well. And I mentioned it before, people have a, a procedure in place as regards somebody to take in the online shopping uh, when, when, it, when it does appear, you know. OK. Um, and then find, yeah, a, a little bit of road safety advice, I suppose, yeah, for the time of year. Finally, just to mention, you know, I mean, we've had unprecedented rainfall there in the last three weeks. And if you're driving in country areas, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of muck and slush and uh, um, leaves at the side of the road and it's, it can also mask damage to the roadway caused by the rainfall for the last three weeks as well. So please for people to, to take a lot of care when they're driving, particularly on country roads. But you can see already when you're driving around, damage has been done. And as I say, just be just to be cautious, you know. OK, be, be very careful. All right, listen, um, John, thank you for that. Um, and we'll talk again soon, but thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly, who's based at Fomoy uh, Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We are trying to get as many listeners as we can get their Christmas covered by giving away super value gift cards. In total, we will give away €5,000 worth of super value uh, gift cards and we're giving them away Monday to Friday in lots of €500. Now, yesterday, we asked you to count the bells at 9 o'clock, 2 o'clock and uh, 5 o'clock. And then at 5 o'clock, Martine opened the texts and the WhatsApps and a flood of correct answers came in. And she selected our winner for yesterday and it was Ashleen Geherty in Lissarda. And Martina started by asking her if she'd been listening out very carefully all day for the ringing of those bells. Unbelievable. Everyone has been touched. I have an alarm set on my phone for the three times in the day and it just kind of, you know, makes sure that I have it and the radio is on and everyone is being quiet and the kids are like, how many bells today? How many bells today? Oh, your gas. So you are commandeering the entire family. And do you think it's going to pay off for you, Ashley? I have my fingers crossed. We all have our fingers crossed. It would be absolutely amazing to win it. All right. So can you officially tell me how many Christmas bells we played out today? Uh, 14. <laughs> yes, Yay! that is the sound of good fortune. Congratulations, it was Thank 14 you. bells, Ashling. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. Oh. How many people do you have there with you that are going to like give you a twirl around the kitchen there now and celebrate? Um, this is, we've got Sarah, she's my eight-year-old. We have Eve, she's my six-year-old. We've Rian, who's four, and my husband. I won't oh. give his age. <laughs> <laughs> don't give his age. We don't need to know that. So, Super Value uh, gift card. I mean, that is going to be just so handy now in the run-up to Christmas, isn't it? Worth 500 oh. euro. Oh my God, we're going to have our dinner and treats and all extra bits and pieces sorted now for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think is the one indulgence um, that you're going to go for for you, yourself? Oh, Lindor. I think I'll get myself a nice um, packet of Lindor chocolates now for myself and the, just sit down and enjoy it with maybe a glass of wine. That sounds perfect. <laughs> yes. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Ashleen, thanks for listening to C103 and we wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas to you and happy Christmas to everyone in C103. Thank you so much. Well done. Another lovely winner yesterday, Ashleen Geherty in Lizarda. And I imagine she's still on a high and still celebrating. Congratulations to her. Quickly identifying 14 bells. There was six in the morning with Ken, four with Nick in the afternoon and then four again with Martina at uh, five. Now, Ken has already rung the bells, the Christmas bells this morning. Nick will do it again at two and then Martina will do it at five. You add the three totals together, just like Ashleen did. And then you text in the correct answer along with your name and address to 086 103 103 and then keep those fingers crossed and hope that your phone rings and it's our Martina at the end of that phone line. That's the C103's Christmas Covered with Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion. They're available now in store or you can get them online, the special e-gift cards. Now they're 
they can be sent out with a personal message as well you simply search super value gift card and then listen weekdays 9am 2pm and 5pm to win only on C103 John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103 with a reminder that we're looking for pet questions I can see some coming in by text and WhatsApp as well keep them coming 0862 103 103 now Susan Sands who is the manager at the Gilbert Centre in Mallow was in contact with us uh, this morning. The service users at the Gilbert Centre are actually staging a nativity play and it's going to be outside the centre on the 13th of December at 12 noon. Now, they have to have this nativity play outside because during COVID times, all of the large rooms were sectioned off into much smaller spaces. So they don't have a space inside that they normally would have had to have actually staged this nativity play. So they're going to have to do it outside. So Susan was on to us this morning and she's putting out an appeal to anyone who uh, is has or is selling Christmas trees in the area. She's a bit fearful that the outside area will be a little bit exposed. We don't know what the weather is going to be like on the 13th of December. So ideally what they would like to do is to try to make some kind of a shelter. And the way they would love to do it is to put up a row of Christmas trees. So it would also make the scene more festive as well. So she's asked us to give the shout out if there's any supplier in the Mallow North Cork area who would be willing to give a loan of about 20 Christmas trees she reckons she would need just for a few hours on the day. She said the staff would be really, really grateful. And Susan's number at the Gilbert Centre is 87 I know it sounds a little bit like a little bit of a long shot, but really you're only giving, you're only, they're only taking a loan of your Christmas trees. As I say, it's only for those couple of hours that the nativity play is uh, on. So if anybody can help out, Susan reckons, as I say, about 20 trees should uh, do it. Let's keep our fingers crossed uh, for Susan that she gets those uh, Christmas trees. Now, some of your commentary coming in, and my apologies, we we're only getting around to, to it now. Uh, this was some reaction to Owen English. I started the programme this morning with speaking with Owen English of the Irish Examiner, and uh, the reason we invited Owen, Owen had gone along to that protest that was held in Formoy yesterday. It was an anti-immigration protest and it was staged at the front gates of St. Joseph's Convent which is the former home of the Presentation Sisters in uh, Formoy and um, it was because there had been uh, two buses had arrived the previous evening with asylum seekers and not everybody in the town were very happy about it and I do genuinely hand on heart think that the reason some of the people would have turned off for that protest last night, there was a lot of misinformation had gone out as to exactly who was and wasn't on that bus. Anyway, some of your calls on that uh, this morning. Uh, Annette contacted us. Now, Annette is from Formoy and she actually was one of the people who turned up. They reckon there was, Owen reckoned between 60 and 70 people were at that protest last night and she was one of them. And she does admit, because Owen said it, that there was a bit of jeering that went on and they were shouting, um, I'd get them out I think it was one of the and there was jeering when some workmen who had been working inside in the centre came out as well so Annette admits that that did happen but she reckons everybody is missing the point she says it's the fact that there's four schools in proximity to where the refugees are living she says that is the issue now I don't quite know what that why you have concerns it's families 
that got moved in. But anyway, Annette is worried about the fact that it's in close proximity to uh, schools. She said, we really don't have a problem with people coming in to uh, Formoy. But she also wants to point out that all of us have to pay for our own houses, our own electricity, our own food and look after our own families. And that's not what's happening with these asylum seekers. They're getting everything. When the Irish left Ireland years ago to emigrate, they weren't given accommodation. The Irish had to work hard to fund their own accommodation and to make their own way in life. This is not what's happening with the refugees. Those that arrived uh, initially, we were told that they would be Ukrainian refugees. They're not. Also, Annette is wondering where any of the elected representatives were last night. None of them uh, showed up. None of them were to be seen. And also those men and women who arrived this uh, week, were they vetted? I feel they should be vetted, particularly with schools in such po- close proximity. People are worried. And Infomoy says the reason that it happened is because local people were kept in the dark. Yes, protests would probably still happen, but the fact that the town were told that Ukrainian refugees were going to be placed in that uh, centre and then it was asylum seekers instead, people felt they were lied to. Uh, but then, and when John Paul Prester and did admit that she's not sure how the general public could have been informed about the decision. We, don't, we know the councillors seemingly were told, I think on, on Monday they were informed by the relevant government uh, department. But how do you get the message out? I mean, gone are the days when we had a town crier running around telling everybody the the news. So I don't know how you get around that particular one. Uh, ben Infomoy says, I can see both sides of view on this one. People are struggling to survive. So when they see people arriving into this uh, country and they're under pressure, that then can spark these feelings of animosity towards those arriving. However, says Ben, we do need to be really, really careful that we don't, don't end up with situations like they have in some parts of England and America where you have communities completely divided and nobody uh, mixes. Uh, we need to have one community all together, everybody looking after each other because that's when trouble starts and he's worried. He really is worried about anti-hate speeches and you know misinformation going out and then that just fuels anger with people as it makes people nervous and then you know things can really get out of hand. So that's a fair point, uh, Ben. Liam in Skibbereen says, have the social media companies not a lot to answer for? It seems you can say what you like online. You can abuse people. You can cause hate. You can cause division. You can deliberately give out misinformation and that can cause upset. Yes, it is allowed to be published on social media. When are social media companies going to be tackled about this? Well, social media companies will say that they do take take down when you know any of these videos are brought to their attention certainly if they report it they do look into them to them and they do take them down but they don't always get them down uh, in time and Pat in Formoy again is on about the lack of information and uh, Pat says he could have gone to that protest uh, last night in order to get the information of who exactly was inside in that uh, centre um, but he said what happened last night was it's filling a vacuum, a vacuum that should have been filled by the local authority and the government uh, They, because people feel they were lied to with what happened last night and therefore the information. It, yeah, it's all back to people saying if you te- if you give us the information and if you tell us what's going on and tell us the people that are staying there, people feel then that they are, they're informed and it takes worry away from uh, people, as I say. I don't know how you get around that. I, I, I really don't, because it isn't just here in Formoy. It's happened in other parts of the country as well, and when people go out and protest. But I think my 
My sadness around last night's pro- protest was the fact of that jeering that Annette says and some in I think a megaphone was, was being used, you know, and shouting, get them out, get them out. And you're thinking, what did we hear? What did was it 25 children, Owen said, were inside in that building? And I saw video footage of the night before and some of them were very small little children. And, you know, they've already left their own countries. We don't know at this stage what is the situation of the country they left or why their parents felt they'd no other choice but to bundle up their kids and take them to a completely strange country and then to suddenly have groups of men and women outside the place where you're staying shouting and, you know, and it's just frightening. It's just, I could just imagine what was going through those little ones and the mums and dads' heads as well about, you know, where have we ended up? So that's my real, real concern was around that. If you want to protest, do you have to do it right outside where these people have come looking for refuge? Can you not do your protest uh, somewhere else? 0818 uh, 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your uh, calls. And don't forget the pet questions. I can still see them coming in. I listened with interest. I heard Norma Foley actually on the news. I don't know many others picked up on this uh, story. And this is to do with a national database is going to be developed to allow for the collection of anonymous data that will underpin an annual report on the scale of the problem of bullying. And I think this is terrific. The big problem that we have with bullying, particularly bullying in our schools, children are afraid to speak up. And even if the parents get involved and the parents want to go into the school the child will say oh ma'am dad please don't because you're only going to make the situation worse and because of that we don't always know the extent of the bullying that is going on now bullying it is regarded as a widespread issue that has become even more problematic now obviously that has got a lot to do with the arrival of social media which means it's giving bullying bullies 24 hour access to their targets even if the bullying doesn't take place within the school day itself. It's the schools that are often relied upon to try to deal with the consequences. Now, under existing guidance, schools are obliged to record incidents internally with research and surveys uh, providing occasional glimpses of the bigger picture. But a recent government study found that 17% of 9 to 17-year-olds reported that they had experienced some form of bullying at some stage. But there are no, there's no official national figures on the prevalence or the nature of uh, bullying. We don't have that data and that is seen as fundamental in order to try and to recognise it and obviously then to try to go on to tackle the problem effectively. So this is there's this new action plan and it's going to build on a strategy that came out in 2013 but it's going to bring a much more comprehensive and sharper approach to the issue and obviously it will reflect on all of the new knowledge is out there, the changes in our society and everything that's happened since 2013. Now the 2013 plan for example had 12 actions this new plan has 61 anti-bullying procedures for schools. All of them are going to be updated because obviously now they have to take account of things like gender identity bullying. They have to certainly take account of cyber bullying. There's a lot of racist bullying going on, the sexist bullying going on and sexual harassment. So the procedures will also provide guidance as to when an incident of bullying actually becomes a child protection concern. Concern Schools then will be expected to regularly review their records of alleged incidents and obviously they're going to be asked to take a look at it just to see if there's any emerging trends 
and then they can consider what measures that they can perhaps put in place to try to prefer, prevent a reoccurrence. And the plan aims to create greater awareness around different forms of bullying, highlight the important role of the bystander and to target in initiatives around areas uh, giving rise to um, particular concern. It'll spread responsibility for addressing school bullying beyond the door of teachers, principals and boards of management, but it'll go out into the wider community, which will also include those social media companies, the parents, and they're also going to get the, the teacher training colleges. And we need to train up our young teachers coming out so that they're very much aware of what bullying looks like and also what they can then do. And the department will engage with the online safety commissioner uh, once appointed, particularly with regard to ways that social media companies can help to prevent and address bullying among children and young people. So that all is really, really good news. And to me, I would say absolutely the sooner the better. Because I know whenever we start a debate or a discussion on bullying, we inevitably will have families who will contact us whose children at the moment are either been bullying but so many families have stories of a son or a daughter you know in recent years or even maybe a few years ago whose life was made hell by a school bully I mean I don't know if the bullies themselves realise that the damage that they do to the person that they're targeting but I was particularly glad to see that part of the plan aims to also look on take a look at the important role of the bystander because I think that's something people and I know people are afraid to get involved in particularly if you've got a well-known bully in a school situation this happens in a work situation as well people are afraid to get involved and to stand up for fear that the bully then will suddenly take their attention away from the target and suddenly put it put it on to the person who's trying to intervene on behalf of somebody who's been very badly bullied. So I'm good to see that they're going to look at that important role of the bystander because even listening to the Spiriton Colleges, Blackrock College um, and the other private schools where now it turns out there was a lot of physical and sexual abuse going on. So many people now, men are coming forward, adult men are coming forward and saying that the guilt they now have because they stood by and didn't do anything. You know, now that's a very hard thing for a child to stand up when it was a teacher was either sexually assaulting or physically assaulting somebody. But they all, they also, the bystanders also lived with the consequence of it. And I think it's tomorrow, Maeve Lewis from One and Four is uh, going to join us because there's a big push for anyone who went to any of those um, Blackrock College or any of those um, Rockwell, any of those private colleges run by the Spiritan uh, priests to any of the ones who witnessed anything at the time. They're looking for those people to come forward. And I think it's tomorrow we're speaking with uh, Maeve Lewis on the programme. It is tomorrow. John Paul is nodding. Thank you, John Paul. 0818103103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Ballancolic Parish are fundraising to supply generators for the town of Sokol in Ukraine. They're holding a cake sale tomorrow. It's from 9am to 1pm and it's in Ballancolic Community Hall with all proceeds going towards the purchase of generators for Ukraine. And Kildallery Community Development will hold their weekly lotto draw. That's uh, this afternoon at four. It's in the community office. Uh, this week's jackpot is €6,300. Euro. 
and Blarney District Historical Society. They're hosting John O'Connell with an illustrated lecture on the escapades of Casey from Cork and McNamara from Clare. That's on tonight at 8 in Blarney Secondary School. Everyone is very welcome to attend. And the Newmarket Canturk Alzheimer Cafe will be held. It's actually on this morning if you'd like to go along. They're there until one o'clock. And the cafe provides a warm and a welcoming place for people living with dementia and their family carers. If you'd like to find out more about the Alzheimer Cafe, you can call 087 3487811. And Chapel Hill School of Art in McCroom are presenting Technic Technically Art. It's an exhibition from the technical staff of Crawford College of Art and Design and it is on. Uh, the ex ex exhibition runs from tomorrow the 2nd and it'll run through until the 16th of December. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A reminder to you tomorrow, uh, the Panto Gang at the Everyman for Glamour and Gags, Song and Dance, Magic and Mayhem. It's Cork Traditional Panto Cinderella. It's running until the 15th of January at the Everyman and tomorrow we have a free Panto Friday. Oh no you don't. Oh yes we do. We will have family passes to give away every hour tomorrow here on the programme. Ken will kick it off in the morning. I'll have more of the passes and we'll roll through the day giving away family passes to the Everyman Free Panto Friday tomorrow. And if you want to see more info, see everyman.com and stay listening this Friday to C103 for your chance to win a family pass. Now, some of your thoughts uh, coming into us. Um, the uh, OK, I'm still getting up oh, before I go to the still some comments coming in about uh, asylum seekers. I, I mentioned bullying and I want to keep a really close eye on this new action plan that Norma Foley is talking about today and this database that she wants to set up, which will allow people to report uh, bullying. And she really wants to get everybody involved, not just the schools, but the parents and social media. Uh, groups, everybody involved for once and for all can we try to stop bullying particularly in our schools because I think if we can stop bullying in our schools the, people who have a tendency to be bullies at school go on then to be bullies in workplaces as well so if we could just nip it in the bud I think at school and says Patricia my daughter was bullied in school and because of it she now suffers from joint locking and seizures it's all down to the bullies they have destroyed her life oh that is just so sad to hear um, that's, um, and I, I said it when, when I was doing that piece on this new programme I did say it every time we mention bullying we'll have somebody like Anne who will text in with a really distressing story of how bullying can affect a person. It's just, it's it's destroying. It's absolutely sold and destroying. Uh, I hope your daughter is okay, Anne, and thank you for your text to 0862103103. Now, uh, still getting in some comments about the protest and what's happened at St. Joseph's Convent uh, in Formoy with those refugees arriving. Somebody says, no more of these centres, please. We need to start start deporting the scammers immediately no more and a number of people are picking up on that particular point on the fact that you know so many asylum seekers come to this country and they're not genuine asylum uh, seekers Patricia it's, it's very hard to see these people being looked after when we have our own students sleeping in cars and tents trying to get educated we need to look after our own first 
Someone else, John, says, thank you for putting your name on the text. John, John says, less than 20% of asylum seekers are granted asylum in this country. The people refused and deportation orders are granted against them, but they're not being physically removed from the country. That's the question the media should be asking, says John. It's the our asylum process. Well, maybe, maybe I can get John Paul to try to find out how many people have failed the asylum uh, process and how many of them then were actually deported. I know there's an appeals process and it can just go on and on and on. So it's the system I think needs to be looked at to find out who are genuine asylum seekers and uh, and who are not uh, really. Hi uh, Patricia, this is a Formoy uh, resident. I just want to agree with Patricia. The people chanting outside St. Joseph's in Formoy really did not consider how frightening it must have been for the little children who were inside Most of those protesting themselves were parents and grandparents and really should know better. There's nothing to be achieved by this behaviour as there was no political representative there thanking you. And that's from a Formoy resident. Yeah, you know, and everyone has a right to protest. I'm not trying to stop anybody protesting, but it's just it's where the protests are done. And as I say, when it's not just Formoy, this has happened at other centres as well where people have gathered outside and you can just imagine how nervous it is for the people that are inside who have fled their own country coming here seeking uh, refuge. And yes, yes, of course, there will be people in the midst of all of that who are not genuine asylum seekers. They will be what we call economic refugees. It will be people who will be fleeing, leaving their own country rather than fleeing their own country, but leaving their own country in the hope of getting a better life for themselves and their children, which is something we, the Irish, can very much identify how many of, of our migrants, how many of our Irish left and became migrants, left our shores and they went to get a better life for themselves and their families and God knows we know how badly our own Irish were treated. So somewhere inside in our own DNA I think we should have more understanding of when and why people flee to try to get a better life for their children. And somebody says, what is the international protection status? You know, on what grounds can you seek asylum? You can apply for international protection in Ireland. Two separate reasons. You have a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or a political opinion. Uh, And you cannot seek the protection of your own country. And that's called refugee. Refugee status, but but in that you can't come because you just want a better life. That's economic uh, migrants, and that's that's a completely different thing. And unfortunately, we don't grant asylum on that grounds. But that's why when people say, you know, there's no war going on in that country, why are they fleeing? You don't know in all the cases. You don't know why that person could be prosecuted for a whole host of different reasons including it could be because of their religion the religion that they're practicing whatever country they're in you know might uh, that particular uh, group of of people get targeted they get targeted for their race they get targeted for being gay they get targeted for their nationality there's that there is a lot of different reasons and we're always going on about you know that we're a Christian country and how many times have we heard people say that when others come to this country they we have to recognize we're a Christian country and put up with our traditions and people get upset if uh, religious statues or cribs are taken down and that argument has been going on for so long. So if we are this great Christian country that we like to say to everyone that we are, then, you know, what's Christian about, you know, not treating others as you would like to be treated yourself or, you know, love thy neighbour? You know, it's it's just I, I it just I get so confused with how people can 
you know, suddenly pick on a group that they really don't know what the backstories are. Nobody knows what's going on inside in that in that convent, what the backstory to those people are. But all I know is they must be really, really desperate to pack up their family and come across many, many miles to a country that they don't even know. You've got to be really, really desperate uh, to do that. 0818103103 and I know that narrative won't sit well with everybody and everybody there will be people who will be agreeing would get them out get them out and deport them uh, straight away and, and, and I suppose everyone is right to their own opinion This is the Court Today replay on C103 and Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Ministry Veterinary Group joining me on this Thursday afternoon Good afternoon to you Jane Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Uh, we've been talking a lot about animals uh, this week, in, in particular with that dreadful attack on that little boy in uh, Wexford. Those dogs, and I know in that case it was a, an American, it was a pit bull terrier that uh, attacked that little boy. Those dogs that are on the restricted list, we've had some listeners say they own some of those dogs and that they're the most gentle, most placid dogs. Do you understand the reason why they're on that restricted list? Okay, yeah. So it, it is a, you know, it's a an absolutely terrifying thing to have happen and I know there's been a, a a lot of a lot of media attention with it in that tragic case this week. Um restricted breeds are always a controversial topic. Um what I would say, I suppose there's legislation in place at the moment that has kind of um uh, identified restricted breeds and measures that have to be put in place if they're in a public place for example that they're muzzled they're held on a short lead by somebody strong enough to hold them that's uh, kind of of an adult age not a not a kid so there are let's say measures in place to deal with deal with certain breeds now I completely understand the viewpoint that let's say they listeners out there may have breeds that are on the restricted list and in a home environment they're you know you know they could be soft cuddly uh, you know creatures I think the thing is is that I suppose any dog big small indifferent on a restricted list or not on a restricted list if they're in a situation where for some reason their behavior is manifesting as aggressive they have the capacity to do damage but what I will say is the restricted breeds um, that are kind of on the on the list as regards legislation I under, my understanding of it is is that the concern is that they would have the capacity just given that their their stature and I suppose the jobs that they were bred for originally hundreds of years ago they would have the capacity to do untold damage should they get into a situation where they bit somebody. So although any breed in any situation has the capacity to to do damage if they're fearful or aggressive, it is the case, I suppose, that certain breeds, because their stature and build, would have the capacity to do a lot of damage. So I suppose what I would say in that situation is, you know, there is legislation in place and I know it is a controversial topic ongoing, but you know, human safety has yeah. to be paramount. But yeah, we I, d- I, I didn't realize the, the that the until we we had an expert on from the DSPCA. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that the the pit bull, the the bull terriers, they were actually bred to take down a bull. They have the strength to take down mm. a bull. Yeah, so some of, I suppose, interestingly, some of the breeds that will be on the restricted list and, and, and many other breeds, although they may have really lovely personalities, you know, they were bred as working dogs, many of these dogs, and, and they were bred for big jobs. For example, taking down bulls, fighting bears, you know, oh, they're, they're, I suppose, at, as regards of a 
purpose for their breed in in this day and age i i know they may be lovely dogs but they were bred for a different time for for yeah. a different job and some of those dogs will struggle in a home environment some won't but i think we really have to be mindful of everybody's safety just given the capacity if they got to fight or became aggressive that they would have the capacity to do a lot of damage that's not their fault i suppose the 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 responsibility falls both on the owner and the pet um but you know, there's no getting around the fact that some of these are very big dogs. They were, you know, made to take down bulls and bears. And, you know, if if we have a small child or a person that's in the line of fire, then it becomes a very serious situation. Yeah. OK, let's get straight into uh, questions. Help, please. I've got a male Dijon Freeze, 18 months old, very well behaved, except uh, he he gets himself into a desperate state if I leave the room. And he's left behind in the room. Now, he's perfect overnight. He'll start barking. Now he's started cocking his leg at the end of the table. I'm at my wits end. Any advice will be most welcome. He just doesn't want to be on his own for any short period of time. Okay, that's a really difficult situation, certainly. But one I hear about very commonly, unfortunately, I think particularly over the past few years, we have to think about, well, you know, if we have a dog that's certainly grown up over the past few years over the pandemic, they grew up in a very different environment to you or I would be in normally. So they will have grown up with, you know, an owner around the house, probably a lot of the time if, if they were working from home, the whole family at home in some cases, they're used to having people and noise around and not being left alone. Now, if that's the case in this pet's case, it may just be that the return to normality is, is not quite what it expected, given what it had grown up with. Um, if it's an older pet, you know, they, they adjust very quickly to having a lot more people around the house. I would say it does sound like separation anxiety to me. Um, I think certainly inappropriate urination is something we see quite a lot with that, in addition to kind of vocalisation, barking, because they're panicking. I think a lot of the time it's making them feel comfortable and doing it in short bursts initially so I think there will be a certain amount of perseverance and training involved if you try and I suppose make it a short thing so that they know you're coming back and um, try and give them a distraction while you're gone so something to play with perhaps a stuffed toy so you can get these great things like plastic things one of the brands are Kong and you can stuff them with lots of tasty treats or or if they're on a weight control diet even some of their own meal and they have to to work a little bit harder to get to it and that's quite mentally fulfilling for them and that's the number one I think I would recommend is give them something to occupy their brain whilst you leave the room and after a little while it may be that they may tolerate short periods of time away from you and you can gradually begin to stretch that out but obviously always remembering they will need people in contact with them regularly lots of toilet breaks because you don't want them to be panicking inside needing to do their their wheeze and poos and not being able to get out but it is a difficult situation if you are struggling and if they are struggling to adjust i'd maybe advise having a chat to your vet and see if they could recommend a qualified veterinary behaviourist that may be able to assess the situation for your pet in your own home and assess what might be what might be some triggers for their anxiety and what can be done to help them. Yeah, and and you've hit the nail on the head. The fact that it's 18 months old, it was it's 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 all its little life so far has been during pandemic times. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's very different times. OK, Lisa is a Cocker Spaniel, a six year old, loves to walk even in the rain. But Lisa has noticed with the damp wet weather, that we've been having when she gets home she ends up with that wet doggy smell somebody has suggested getting a doggy rain coat for the cocker spaniel and she's wondering your opinion on coats for dogs Okay, so coats for dogs, another controversial issue. So (laughs) essentially, I I would say coats for dogs are not a bad thing as long as you're very mindful of their temperature. 
when they're out and about, if it's raining like us, we put a coat on. I don't see any real ethical problem with popping a, a well-fitting, comfortable coat onto your pet to keep the rain off. And that might, I suppose, make them more comfortable as they run around. They're less soaking wet when they come back and make your life a little bit easier too, having less drying up to do. Um, but what I will say is you need to be really mindful that it fits well, is comfortable. It doesn't restrict their movement. And I suppose one other thing to be mindful of is for those out, listeners out there that might have coats on their dogs, not just when they're out walking for, let's say, rain and wet dog prevention purposes, is that you need to be really careful. If you have a, a coat on your dog in the house, you need to constantly assess their temperature. So if they're showing any signs of, of being overheated, panting, restlessness, for example, I think you really, really need to be very mindful that they can't tell us when they need to take their jacket off. If we were warm in that house, we would take a layer off and they don't have that luxury of being able to do that themselves. So we have to really proactively monitor their temperature. A really handy thing to do is to slide your hand in underneath the jacket and you know, feel the temperature. If it's really, really, really toasty warm, maybe assess your pet. Are they restless? Are they panting? Do I need to remove a layer? Do I need to remove the coat? And in lots of warm, centrally heated homes these days, you know, the ambient temperature is more than adequate for most pets. They, in vast majority of cases, unless they're very lean, old, geriatric, they won't need a jacket in a normal environment. But certainly, a rain jacket is no harm in this yeah, situation. Okay, and a final one in. A five-year-old collie dog has started eating grass. It's only happened in recent weeks. Is he lacking in something? He is neutered, okay, by the way. Okay, so... He's neutered. Okay, so eating grass is another really common thing we see. So classically, it used to be something we'd associate with a pet feeling ill. So sometimes they will eat grass to almost make themselves feel, make themselves get sick because they're feeling nauseous. But we know some recent studies have shown that actually grass eating can be habit based. Um, and not associated with nausea. So it really depends. If your pet is otherwise really well in himself, it may just be habit, but it's it's a new habit by the sounds of it, and anything new is something to be investigated. If you're in any doubt, take him to your vet to get checked out. It's very unlikely he's lacking in something. So a behavior where they eat inappropriate things, objects, stones, grass, for example, is something called pika, and it's overwhelmingly uncommon in dogs and cats. It's usually more common that they're feeling nauseous or it's pure habit. Um, but if you're in any doubt, get them checked out by the vet if you've noticed any other signs for example vomiting um, going off food then that's a big red flag that you need to need to see the vet and get it checked out okay and there's somebody looking for advice on on an older uh, pet an older dog but i'll hold on to that until next week because i'm not going to get a chance to get to it today listen jane thank you for that have a lovely week and uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk again uh, next week. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. And that is part of the uh, veterinary, uh, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group. I'll get send that out to John Paul to print off so that I'll have that uh, question for next week, uh, John Paul. Uh, and just quick one on bullying. When I mentioned bullying, somebody said, Patricia, I was listening to you chatting about bullying. I have known of children that have been forced to change to schools because the bullying got so bad it always annoys me it should be the bullies that are expelled and it shouldn't be down to the victim of the bullying that ends up having to change uh, schools I agree with you 100% okay that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you tomorrow and a reminder that tomorrow free panto Friday your chance to win Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to see 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.